0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. Now, you remember last week we started the book of Jonah. We learned that Jonah ran from God, he had a direct message from God. I would consider that a verbal message. To Jonah, But of course, Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord, the Pane, from the face of the Lord. Not just from the presence of the Lord, but from the face of the Lord. This was a prophet that had prophesied that uh, the king would expand his ministry in the northern kingdom, and he did. And still the prophet Jonah decided to run from God's call, but he got into trouble. God caused a great storm. And of course, that's where we pick up the story today. Now, you know, when we think about the whale, um, the Bible calls it a great fish. I I see this more as because we're not exactly sure all the mammals that were in the sea back then. But I can certainly say this, that it was a whale. It was uh, something comparable to like a whale that we have today. So. What we learn today is that God, and that's not a misprint, that's the way the Israelites, they put a dash. They don't say the word God because they think his name is so holy. So in keeping with the Old Testament, God will find us and begins here with casting lots. And they said to one another, that is the sailors, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, what is this casting of lots? Well, it was common in the Near East. And the the way it worked basically was that you would have stones, and these stones would be colored. So let's say, for example, uh, a person cast a lot, and it came up two dark stones. Well, the answer was no to whatever you were asking. And if you cast the lots and they came up two white-colored lots, the answer was yes. And of course, if you cast the lots and it came up one white and one dark, you had to re-roll. Kind of like a re-roll, a dice falls off the edge of the table and to make it fair, you re-roll it. So, um, and it was, uh, this is another way to look at it. You have the dark and the light. And they would throw those. Now, it says that the lot fell on Jonah. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But did you realize that the New Testament talks about casting lots too? In fact, in Acts 126, it says they cast lots and the lot fell on Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, the fact that the lot fell on Jonah... Would indicate that God is very much in the process of the lot casting. And the way it worked was they would start with one sailor, and the person throwing the stones would throw it, and the answer was no. It was no to the next sailor, to the next sailor, to the next sailor, to the next sailor, to the next sailor. And eventually it got right around to Jonah, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, it'd be hard to imagine that nobody would get a yes up until Jonah, except God was the one orchestrating the lot casting. God deliberately blocked every possible avenue except the prophet Jonah. And so it reminds us that no matter what happens in our life, God knows where we are. He knows and is very aware of where we are in our own lives. And sometimes God allows things to happen for our betterment, even though at the time it doesn't seem so. And so anyway, uh, we move on now. After the casting of lots, we go to the questions. Now notice what's written in verse 8. Of course, after the lots are cast, the natural question would be, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. By the way, what is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? That's a lot of questions. Because if you're casting the lots and it falls on this one individual that you're really not familiar with because they're Phoenician and he's a Hebrew, they would naturally ask questions. Wow, okay, we've got this big storm going on. And so we need some answers. And by the way, this word evil we've looked at before, it's raha. Now, that word can mean wickedness, but it can also mean misery. But thirdly, that word raha can mean tragedy. And this is exactly what's happening right now. This storm is raging. The sailors, the captain woke up Jonah. He's up on top of the ship. Uh, uh, where the sailors are on top of the ship, and now all of a sudden they are getting to the heart of the matter through the casting of lots. I think Paul Merkel is correct. Until now, he has been perfectly comfortable with running away. That's speaking of Jonah. Believing that it was only the only reasonable and self-respecting Israelite would have done in the same situation. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. So he figured the best thing to do would be to run away. As far as he was concerned, it was utterly impossible to comply with God's wish to assign him to Nineveh. He felt it was morally repugnant to hold out the prospect of mercy to wicked pagans like the Ninevites. As far as Jonah was concerned, the problem was with God, not him. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Well, we're starting to realize the fact that Jonah was afraid on one end, but the other end, he didn't like God's message. He didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach that you need to repent and then God will forgive you. Why? Because the Ninevites were the enemies. This is a great reminder for us, brothers and sisters, that we need to be willing to go wherever God calls us to go, and that we're to be able to share the message of God's grace with a world that is lost and dying. We may not like the sin of the world. I get that. I don't either. Matter of fact, when you turn on the, the television, I, I I had to the other day I was watching the news and it, it got so bad I just cut it off. Because the world is so messed up. So far from God. But yet, that's the world in which we are called to go. Jonah said, I don't want to do it. And sometimes in our own lives, we say the same thing. I don't want to do it. But don't be like Jonah. We should not be like Jonah. Now, there's something else to glean from these verses. He says, tell us on whose account this evil came upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Who are you? You know what? Sometimes... In our own lives, it would be good to ask some questions. In, in keeping with the Old Testament. Lamentations 3.40 says this: let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Sometimes some self-reflection. Am I living for Christ? Am, Am I fulfilling what God wants me to fulfill for my life? Am am I seeking God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength? Sometimes it is really good to ask questions. And this is what the sailors did. They wanted to find out who is this Jonah that is causing such a calamity. These questions were needful. In getting to the answer. Now look at verse 9. And he said to them. I. And this by the way is the first time Jonah speaks in the book. Listen to what Jonah says. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. By the way that word fear refers to worship. At this point I'm thinking no no no. You're not worshiping. (laughs) You're you're not exhibiting a, a characteristic of somebody that worships. Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry ground. Now, the word Hebrew would have immediately, it doesn't seem like he answers a lot of their questions here. He does not tell them that he is a prophet. And you remember, he had prophesied that Jeroboam II's reign would expand, and so that made him a valid prophet. That's why he's in the minor prophets in our Bible. He did not say that. You notice he withheld that information. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I'm from Israel. That would have clarified a lot of things right there. He said, I fear or I worship Yahweh, Yodahavev. And again, when we look at Jonah's life at this particular moment, he is not worshiping. He is also worships the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This God right here, Phoenician God, Belshaman, um, was the Lord of the heavens. So this might have gotten their attention. Oh, wait a minute. It kind of reminds me of... Uh, Paul when he goes on to Mars Hill and he goes I see you have an inscription to all these gods and there's one inscription over here to an unknown god and by the way the unknown god is the one that I know and now I am going to proclaim to you here now the Phoenicians would have their ears might have perked up they might have sat up and take notice wait a minute uh your god is the god of creation who made the sea and the dry ground of course Jonah will uh Uh, omit some other things but he's also the one that created the Phoenician sailors and so now Jonah is responding but what what is interesting here is that Jonah does not say that he is a prophet but he will it'll it'll be exposed now notice the response of the sailors in verse 10 Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this thing you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the pane, the face of the Lord, because he had told them. Paul Mackerel again. It is not the mere fact that he is on the run that shocks them, but that he is on the run from such a God as this. How could he be so reckless and foolhardy? They stare aghast at Jonah. I remember years ago, and if I've told you this story, just go along with me here. I remember one evening about 10 o'clock, was when I was pastoring in Ohio. It might have been nine, nine or ten, somewhere in that ballpark. And I got a call from a lady in our church. She was on her way to University Hospital in Cleveland. She called me frantic. She said, Pastor, my son has just been involved in a horrific car accident. I said, I'll be up there and uh, won't mention names, but... I told her I would get in the car. Her husband, a wonderful man, wonderful man. Very both, very supportive of my ministry. I got up there and walked into the waiting room. And she said, Pastor, would you go in with me to the room where they had him? And I said, I would go. And as we walked, she told me what happened. He had been drinking one night excessively as he hit the exit ramp off the interstate he was doing 90 miles an hour he did not have his seatbelt in he's a Christian as he approached the stop sign down at the exit ramp with no seat belt on a car happened to be coming by right at the right time it was a state troopers mother He hits the car, kills her instantly. He is ejected through the glass some 50 yards out into a median. I stopped with her at the door and I prayed. So we went in. And, of course, he's in intensive care. And... I've got my arm around her because she's visibly upset, and she asked me this question. Pastor, why did he do it? And the only thing I could think of at the moment was to say this, why do we do what we do? He survived, of course he went to prison And obviously, he was not living for God at the moment, and it cost him a great tragedy. And that's what happens when you run from the pane of God, from the face of God. There will be consequences. Jonah, who has directly told by God, I want you to do this, and I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach out against that great city, and the prophet said, no, I'm not, and he fled, and we saw it was 2,500 miles from Joppa to Tarshish, where he was heading. He was going as far away from God as he could, but we know that God hurled a great sea, against Jonah, and that word hurled means to throw a spear. God had a target, and Jonah had the target on his back. And so, we move now to God's corrective action, and he takes corrective action. So, you'll notice here, Then they said to him, this is in verse 11, Then they said to him, What shall we do with you, that the sea may be quiet for us? For the sea grew more and more tempest. So you can understand that the boat is still in in peril, that the sailors are worried, and they've identified now that Jonah was running from the face of God. And so they asked Jonah, What must we do to make the seas quiet? (laughs) Okay. Jonah is the one that knows God. Yet he's on the lamb, so to speak. He's running from God. And so these sailors do not know Yodehave. They do not know the God of heaven and earth and the creator and sustainer of life. They do not know him. Jonah is the resident authority. And at this point, the resident authority on God is on the lamb. He's running away from God. And yet Jonah's the resident authority on God. And by the way, we are the authority on God too. When the world asks us what should we do, we need to have an answer. We are the authority because we carry the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have the word living in us. And in those days when, like my case in the hospital, when I was utterly stumped, God gave me the words that she needed to hear. And by the way, God will give you the words that you need on the day that you are asked why you believe. And so these, these sailors are now saying, what can we do? How can we make this stop, Jonah? And he said to them, verse 12, pick me up. This is, this is interesting. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. You know that word hurl again? Target is the same word where God hurled the great wind. Same word. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it'll be quiet for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah has repented. No. This is not repentance. Jonah was saying here, I would rather die than go to Nineveh. You see that? This is not repentance. (laughs) Jonah was saying, okay, throw me over, and I know I'm going to die, but... Hey, it's better than going to Nineveh. Many people read this and they go, well, Jonah repented. No, he didn't. Repentance is a change of heart. Repentance means that you have a different way of seeing things. Jonah is now just looking for an easy way out of the life. He doesn't care about going to Nineveh. He doesn't want to do that. I like what Page says in his commentary, absolutely right. He did not exhibit repentance from fleeing from the Lord, but merely resigned himself to the only seemingly solution, the only seeming solution. And the only seeming solution was, throw me over and let me die. Wow, that's a tough prophet. He's running from the face of God, and he would rather be dead than go to Nineveh. It is interesting, he goes on to add, Frank Page does, it is interesting that Jonah did not offer to throw himself overboard. Uh, perhaps he was too frightened, maybe, or perhaps at this point he was merely asking for them to be the instruments of God's judgment. Wow. Still no repentance. Repentance. Let me say this to all of us this morning. We need to be very careful in our relationship with Christ that our hearts do not become so cold that we are unwilling to repent and to turn to Him. It's a good reminder. And if the prophet Jonah can do this, how much easier is it for us to do it? Proverbs 29.1 He who is often reproved and stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Jonah was just saying, okay, I know God and I know what he's capable of. And so if you just take me and throw me overboard, you'll be helping me out so that I don't need to go to Nineveh. Brothers and sisters, that is not, not, not repentance. That's just a resignation that I'm going to die and let it go wherever it wants to go from there. We should not let our hearts get so cold that when God speaks and tells us to do something, that we ignore it and decide, I'm not doing it. Well, the narrative continues. So Jonah says, just throw me in the sea. I'd rather be dead than go to Nineveh. And Jonah's fate. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. You can miss this just by a casual reading. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry ground. But they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempest against them. God was not going to let them save Jonah's life. Here's something else to think about. This one, it said they rode, they dug in. That's what the Hebrew says. They dug in with every force that they had. They dug and they tried to get back to the dry ground. This is totally ironic. This is totally ironic. They cared more about Jonah's life than he cared about his own. And it may have even been an image of the fact that these people were willing to try to help him, and yet Jonah was not willing to help the Ninevites by going to Nineveh and preaching against it so that they could come into a relationship with God. That is mind-boggling, that the sailors cared more about Jonah's life than he did. Wow. <laughs> Who would have thought that, right? Right. Again. Again. There are people outside this church, these church doors this morning, that are dying. They are dying spiritually apart from Jesus Christ. We have the Word of God. And if you go outside these church doors, we love each other in here. That's not an issue. But we go out there and we're called to love a world that is filled with Ninevites. And we are the ones that have the message, the good news, Of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have it right here. And our mission, as Jesus said, is to go forth and share the word and make disciples. That is our job. Jonah is failing. Please let's not fail. Please let's not fail. Then there's a prayer revival. And Jonah's not involved Therefore, they called out, Jonah wasn't calling out, no, this is verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, Yodahave, they've got his name now, all because of Jonah's rebellion, that's something. (laughs) O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not his innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done what has pleased you. Okay, okay, you've got these unbelievers saying what Jonah should be saying. Three things here about their prayer revival. And I doubt very seriously Jonah was involved in it. When they said, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, it really is a way of saying that they, re- they respect God's power because they had seen it. And they knew that God was after Jonah. Mm. Lay not on us this innocent blood. They were actually praying that God would not hold them accountable for what they were getting ready to do. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. They realized the divine sovereign plan of God cannot be thwarted and yet the prophet himself knew all of this i jonah's farther away from god than we read this and we think that jonah well, he just had a bad moment he's just Jonah's in full-blown rebellion right now and you've got unbelievers that are acting more like believers than jonah and is that not the case in the church sometimes Wow. So, finally, as we get to the moment of truth, verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. The prophet of God is now thrown into this massive storm. He's no longer on the the ship. And as soon as this happens, calm seas. That kind of reminds me when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus and there was a raging storm and he calmed the sea. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. If he can stop the storms back then, he can stop the storms today. As soon as they throw Jonah overboard... Everything ceases. God heard their prayer. Smith quotes Stewart here. Makes a reasonable point that the sacrifice could hardly have occurred on board the ship. Because the cargo was gone. He explains further that the transportation of edible animals on ocean-going ships was infrequent in ancient times as in modern, and that in all religions of the ancient Near East, as far as evidence is known, sacrifices took place at shrines or the temple. Now, the text lends itself to thinking that they made a sacrifice there. The argument is well established. It's possible that the vows that they made They made a vow that when they get back to dry ground, they will offer a sacrifice. And it's possible that they did it on ship, but highly probable, improbable, that they would have done that. Now, when you look at this narrative, I mean, if you really look at it, it's mind-boggling. It's just mind-boggling how the prophet of God could flee the face of God. So much so, and so much rebellion, that he is unwilling to repent. He, his heart has grown cold towards Yodejave. And now you've got, on the other end, you've got sailors now who may have had a come-to-Jesus moment on board this ship they are now exhibiting more of the characteristics of an Israelite than the Israelite himself. Wow. I don't know. It's just mind-boggling to me. Maybe it's just me. But it's interesting. See, I think this is this this text right here reveals how far Jonah had wandered from God. He may not have thought so, but you can see. But God was not done. Isn't that wonderful? God's not done with you or me. And I tell you what, I've, I've, I've hit Jonah pretty hard, but I could hit us pretty hard too. I bet you there's times in your lives, depending on when the photo was taken, and mine, that it, the picture wouldn't really look pretty. But God said, you know what, Jonah? Jonah? You can fly to the moon, but I'll find you there. You can go to any part of the world, Jonah, but I've got a plan for you. And let me give you a word of encouragement this morning. God has a plan for you too. He does. You may not see the plan right now, and you may not fully understand the plan, but I'm going to tell you this morning that God has a plan for your life. And nothing you can do can thwart that plan that he has for you. So what happens here? Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. I love this. I meditated on this this week. Here, God is God is looking and he's looking around. And he goes, oh, oh, whale, I want you to swim over here because my prophet's getting ready to fall through. And so God is speaking. Woo! I don't know how he spoke to him. You know, they have those sonar things now. But he spoke to that whale and that whale goes, oh, that's God. And he goes over to where he says, I'm just going to direct you. Come on this way. God is the one who created the seas and everything. He can talk to animals. We talk to animals all the time, don't we? Our pets, come here, little boy, you know. Um, But here, God directs this whale to the sinking prophet. Why did he use the whale? I don't know. It was big enough. Does the fish represent the new Christianity? No. No. It's a whale in a story. Now, I don't know which would have been scarier, being thrown off or seeing this coming at you. It's like, okay, Jonah, you weren't afraid up there, but watch this. And you got a big whale come out. I I rode hard to get back to that ship, right? But the whale, it's like a big gulp. You get those big gulps at the store, it's like a big gulp. Got him. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Do you know why this story is real? Do you remember what Jesus said? As Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days. Jonah now gobbled up. By the whale. Man, that would have been. He probably at that point thought, well, the sea didn't kill me and it stopped, but now God sent this whale and he's going to finish me off. You know what we have here? We have in this whale the grace of God. Sometimes things will swallow us up in our lives. And yet, God protects us from the storms that rage against us. The place may not be pretty where we are. And it may not seem like the ideal situation. But God has us there. And as long as we turn to him, as we will see next week. You have to come back in next week now to see where this goes. But what I see here is, I see the unmatchless grace of God, the infinite grace of God. And so we leave our prophet in the belly of a whale.